Everybody and welcome to the 401st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's just one step closer to cards overrunning our entire homes. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello everybody, as always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the cool stuff that happened this week, but before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com. Save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? We have so many great things going on. We're going to lead off with our Metagame Week in Review. We're going to talk about modern challenges on Saturday and Friday that just went by. Segment 2 has our top paper movers of the week, followed by the top movers online. Segment 4 is our card just to watch, and then at the end we're going to talk about uh, magic vending uh, with Michael Caffrey, and maybe a little bit of the Lost Caverns, which, uh, did you know that the pre-release is this weekend? Yeah, it's coming up fast upon us. Man, never stops. Never stops. Never stops indeed. All right, let's jump on over to the metagame week in review. We got a double dose of modern here from the Friday Modern Challenge on November 3rd and the one on Saturday, November 4th. Both very straightforward uh, and expected for the most part. We've got the Friday Modern Challenge taken down by Burn, and actually Burn won on both Friday and Saturday. Apparently, a solid foil uh, vis a vis being a clock that sometimes the Black Red Scam and Bean decks have trouble beating. And indeed, you see just a ton of scam across all of the challenges over the last week, and in these two in particular. Black Red Scam was in 2nd, 3rd, 6th, 7th, and 8th on on the Friday. Living End in 4th with Nauseous Oracle in 5th. Over on the Saturday, again, Burn took it down, and then Black Red Scam was in 2nd and 3rd. Amulet Titan in 4th. Scales, Black Green Yogmoth, 4-Color Omnath Beanstalk, and Green Tron rounding things out. Social media was aflame today with uh, a chart showing just how much Scam has been winning lately, and I I suspect that if things continue in this fashion, we are definitely looking at bans related to this deck sometime in the next 6 to 12 months. It's a tricky situation because there's a lot of expectation in our Discord that all of the elementals for MH2 are soft targets to be included in MH3. They could do them as retrofoils in the same way that they did MH1 cards and MH2 alongside retrofoil and new new art borderless foil fetches in terms of the allied fetches finally catching their reprint. If they go ahead and they ban Fury or Grief and those cards are already locked into the set list, and I would very much expect that the MH3 set list is complete at this point. We're into a production and marketing cycle now and well right. beyond the, We're the around, set completion. What, seven months away from Modern Horizons 3 if it's coming out in June-ish? Yeah. So that set list should be locked in. And that makes what you ban from Black Red Scam very tricky. The obvious answers are just to go after Fury and or Grief. The le- least, the, the less obvious uh, and a little more finicky solution is to go after the one mana black spells that let you put Grief or Fury on the stack, and in response to the Evoke trigger, go ahead and put a on-death, bring it back into play trigger. And there are three or four of those they would have to go after. Yeah, there's a lot of those particular tricks. That seems to be something they've printed in almost every set at this point. But it wouldn't surprise me if they if they went that route. The other thing they could do with Modern is just go nuclear. They could go after a whole bunch of things. They could go after all the elementals, maybe the one ring... Orcish Bowmasters and a bunch of other stuff and really hit the reset button, but I just don't think that's where they want to be. I don't think that's an apple cart they are willing to upset. So I suspect it's very tempting for them to just go after the cards that would knock Black Red Scam back a half step and have it showing up 
you know, once or twice in the top eight as opposed to five or six times. Now, they, they changed around their banned and restricted announcements too, right? They're only doing that after Pro Tours and then once a year in August, if I remember it correctly. I'd, I'd want to yeah. go back and look that up. I think, th- I think that's correct. So they don't have a good window to do anything major about it soon. And, like, Scam is just so resilient because between Grief and Fury, it's very difficult for them to have a board presence early. And also the fact that you're going to get two Grief triggers is just so wonderful for A, being able to sculpt what their plan will be, and B, like, you're you're barely down cards. It's like you're spending three to get their best two. And so... You're, you're, and you've got the, the grief in play. Let's not forget that it's not only two answers, it's also a big-ass clock. So yeah. it's powerful, there's no doubt. I mean, they can try and print answers, but it feels a lot like when they first printed Jace the Mind Sculptor, and then they printed Thrag Tusk, like, well, here's the answer to Jace. And then it's just, year, and then uh, the Titans, uh, Primeval Titan and whatnot, were also supposed to be Jace answers. Because it didn't matter if you bounced it the next turn, you'd already gotten great value from it. So I'm worried that they might go for like cards that are more of an answer to things, but we'll we'll see. I think the other way they can go if they're feeling brave, and especially if the elementals are not in MH three, then they may actually see it as a benefit to clear the way for whatever cards they're gonna dump on our lap next summer. In which case they might go after, say, grief and beanstalk. Oof, that's big. Because if you if you go after if you nerf black red scam but you leave beanstalk completely alone, I suspect beanstalk starts to move into the same position scam is now. Man, beans is so especially the cascade beans lists. I just feel like I, I agree with you that I think the elementals and the the allied fetches for what it's worth are locked into Modern Horizons three, and there's no way they're gonna ban like headliner cards like this. So I think they might poke around at the edges with like some some card that comes out. They might like give us some more answers. People are playing all kinds of stuff, but it's just too slow. Yep. And it's not like every challenge we look at is five scam in the top eight. The last week looked pretty egregious. It's it's really, is this going to be an ongoing thing? They, they've got access to these stats pretty straightforwardly because it's online play that's defining most of this. So they can see exactly what percentage of the meta is black red scam they can see what per, what the win percentage is like and they will be backed into a corner if it continues in in a similar fashion to this weekend that's for sure yeah i agree moving on over to top paper movers we've got all sorts of action cyberman squadron extended arts out of doctor who 450 to six dollars 33 percent gains one of the more popular edh cards very very good in any uh artifact creature heavy deck because it gives all of your artifact creatures myriad, and then things get silly in a hurry. You've got a bunch of dinosaur hype stuff this week, including Trapjaw Tyrant out of Rivals of Ixalan. $10 to 15 50% gains there. I think the foils climbed as well. I'm assuming that's one of the dinosaurs that did not show up in the pre-con. Right. Trapjaw was not reprinted. Exotic Orchard Surge foils out of Doctor Who. Four fifty to ten dollars. There's a whole bunch of surge foils that are high play levels in EDH that look like they got spec targeted this week. All of that, I checked on most of them on eBay, and they were lagging well behind the prices on TCG Player. And that's usually a pretty good indicator that you're supposed to try to sell into that TCG Player hype as quickly as you possibly can before the inventory fills back in from the people that bought it up, hoping to flip it into the market later. Uh, similarly, we have your biotransference pick, uh, from 40 K those search foils going six to 14, pretty close to what you imagined they would, but that in particular was almost certainly targeted by the pro traders who saw the pick and thought it looked pretty good. Um, again, a situation where you're going to want to sell into that price point if you can. I would totally be selling. Yes. Hellkite Courser foils out of commander legends is one of the few big cards from that set that has not caught any kind of a reprint since uh, a few years back and as a result the foils even just the regular foils not even the foil extended arts have gone 10 to 25 lately and as long as that dodges a reprint those are going to settle at a at a elevated level for sure oh i thought this was hellkite tyrant but it's hellkite courser 
This is the one that puts your commander into play for a turn. Oh, this is the this is the incredibly busted or dragon's best friend. This is just yeah. so yeah. so good. This is one of the cards I'm always happiest to see with my dragon. Yeah, or dragon's best friend for sure. Dinosaurs on a spaceship out of Doctor Who, four dollars to ten dollars just in regular versions on dinosaur hype. I think that's also probably spec driven. And with a little bit of player demand building up as well. Trophy Mage is another one of these cards that hasn't caught a reprint uh, since Aether Revolt in this case. And the foils went 5 to 15. It's a single printing foil with 36,000 decks reported on EDH Rec. It's one of the search cards that I talked about on the cast last week that goes and searches up a three casting cost artifact and uh, gives you all sorts of options in certain decks. If you want to get crazy, there's the uh, full art version that was some kind of game day giveaway. So there's a lot of those left, but I don't think these were in foil, were they? Correct. They weren't. That's why these foils were, people went after them. Yeah. Laser screwdriver surge foils at a Doctor Who, 6 to 20. That's also a soft ceiling, I think. Feed the swarm surge foil at a Doctor Who, 250 to 15. That seems spec targeted and almost certainly a sell. There's a feed the swarm surge foil in... 40k as well i think and i think it's well below the well the Doctor below, Who. yeah yeah so and then at, right at the top of our list may as well include it in this part of the discussion evolving wild surge foils were a dollar and now they are in theory and put this in you know thickly laced with criticism quotations or skepticism i suppose a uh, dollar to 44 dollars on tcg player that's going to fill in for sure they're going to end up in the probably four to eight dollar range i would imagine they're they're not that hard to find they are hard to find you and i were talking about this before the cast that if it's a uncommon or common it doesn't have a dedicated uh, slot like the rares and mythics do rares and mythics can were reprinted in extended art surge foil as well as regular frame surge foil. But to get the regular frame surge foils, you have to pull it from the slot for the commander deck in question. So each of the collector boosters has one slot for a foil card from each of the four decks. And so you get um, your odds are pretty terrible. I don't think basic lands are included in there. So my original post had it as 1 in 1,000. It's more like 1 in 800 or so. But that's still a whole lot of collector boosters you've got to go through to get just this one specific surge foil regular frame. And not everybody's willing to do that. Wild Magic Sorcerer out of AFC going $1.50 to $4. That's the Jeskai Doctor deck still, still driving that. And then Young Wolf foils out of Dark Ascension have also never caught a reprint. And as a re- didn't even get a secret layer or anything along the way. That's a card they still play in Yogmoth decks in Black Green Modern. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and those foils went 15 to 50, and that just basically means it's, you know, a seller's market. There's very few copies of them floating around. I would imagine most buyers would be hoping to get them sub-20, so we'll see how that hashes out over time. I mean, it's a common, but it's a common from 11 years ago in a completely different era of distribution. It was a small set, so there wasn't all that much to go around from it. It predates a lot of our modern buying trends. And yeah, somehow this has never been reprinted in anything. Moving on over to segment three, Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. We've got Hive of the Eye Tyrant out of AFR, heavily played in Pioneer Red, Black, and Black decks. 3.52 ticks to 5.31, that's 50% gains. Staff of the Storyteller, which is a one commander card that is largely played in Legacy. 4.24 to 6.36 ticks. And Underworld Breach, there's the regular copies out of Theros Beyond Death, 0.65 to 2.48 on the back of assorted use in Modern and EDH. 280% gains there. That's pretty good, especially with the way you can just churn through the ticks. I like it. All right, I got a couple of interesting selections here for cards to watch. I'm going to kick things off with the Sarah Angel 30th Anniversary Retro Foil. Japanese version. The English version is several hundreds of dollars currently on TCG Player. And it's debatable how thick the market is for a card like this, even among collectors at an elevated price point like that. But there don't seem to be that many of them floating around. Currently, you've got market price of 187 
but the only one listed is at 999.99 in English. In Japanese on TCG Player, the lowest posted price is $180. And if we look at the last two sales, they were at the end of August and early October. So it doesn't sell very often, but they have sold at $180 plus. But one of the reasons that that's, there's a big price disparity between TCG Player and eBay is that the Japanese vendors sell on eBay, but they don't sell on TCG Player. And the Japanese vendors are the ones with the inventory, and the Japanese copies of Sarah Angel on eBay are closer to $45 or $50, with some more inventory at $60 and $65. So I wouldn't go deep on this, but if I'm a TCG Player vendor with an eBay account, I'd sure as heck order one or two copies of this and then see if I could undercut people at $149.99 or something on direct and move a couple copies. And if I did, I'd look at an opportunity to restock. So it could be a nice, clean arbitrage. So I want to be clear here because there's so many dang versions of Sarah. Now, are you talking, uh, this is not the one from the 30th edition $1,000 packs, correct? No. Okay. So you're talking uh, retro frame and... Anime uh, art. The anime art one. Okay, I thought, see, that's where I was getting confused. All right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, this was just in super low quantities at the celebration... I think these are promos that were given out to uh, premium WPN stores. Okay. All right. That makes more sense. Okay. I see the one you're talking about now. Because I was like, yeah, I love me an iconic uh, Sarah Angel, but why wouldn't I just go after some of the, like an unlimited version? But but I'm sorry. I was super confused. Well, there's something like 60 different prints of Sarah Angel out there. So thank you for walking me through that. And if the price difference is that visible and that easy to exploit you just got to have the right uh overseas uh buying and selling let's do it i'm always up for some arbitrage no no no, but that's just it you don't need to have overseas buying and selling this isn't a situation where you have to buy them from vendors in japan on a japanese website and then have some place to ship in japan no you're just buying from ebay eBay. Yeah. yeah and they'll just it'll take a little while to get to you probably but especially if you order you know multiple copies from a vendor that's holding more than one then they may get them to you in a week or so because I think international shipping has dramatically improved out of Japan since COVID let up. Thank goodness. All right. How about your first selection? Uh, my first pick this week, uh, we've, we haven't really talked much about the Jurassic Park cards, but they're unique cards and they're new cards. And I tried to think of stuff like if one of these new commanders took off, what would be the cards that went with them since we, we know everything that was printed in the, the pre-cons. And one of the things that popped out was uh, this new Ian Malcolm card, the Chaosologist, Chaotician, Chaoticatician. I don't know how exactly how I'm going to say that, but it's uh, whenever a player draws their second card, that player exiles the top card of their library, and during each player's turn, that player can cast spells that that they don't own that this guy exiled. So you want to make somebody draw two cards in order to have this trigger. And now you can play their stuff. We love playing other players' decks. It's a, it's a whole fun subgenre of deck. And I think that there's going to be enough interest in this card, especially for people doing bad Jeff Goldblum impersonations, that I'm picking Foils of Vision Skines from Original Dissension. And this is a card that is one in a blue for an instant. Each player draws two cards. Very straightforward. Exactly what the deck wants. Tiny supply on TCG Player. You can get near mint foils for about seven bucks. Uh, lightly played foils for around five dollars fifty. And I think there would be, you know, enough people that will push this to over ten and probably to hit fifteen, maybe even higher. If people turn out, this is a lot of fun. I think the card would be better if he exiled with a certain counter on him, so that if you replayed him, then you could replay those cards. Because as it is, if Malcolm dies, then you have to start all over with the exiling, and that's not as much fun. This is a tricky one because people have to care about this commander, but the inventory is extremely low. So it, it might it's not the kind of thing I would go after, but it might well get there in the TCG Player Direct uh, arena. Sure. If, if for no other reason than the only person, the, the lowest direct price on this right now is $1,000, which is just a placeholder price. <laughs> and there's only a, t- a, a total of six copies of this left on TCG Player. So it's not even like anybody can go particularly deep. Well, you're, you're looking at the only the near mints, right? Yeah. I would also imagine that Nekasar 
is a much bigger deal than the Ian Malcolm card. Sure. Because this is a staple in an Ekasar deck. Absolutely. But it's only been put in twelve less than 12,000 decks lifetime, for, which for a card that's 20 years old is not that very impressive. So it, it's a very narrow spec. I wouldn't recommend going deep on it. But if that commander cracks the top 20 or something, then it might well get there. I agree with all of that. Uh, I got another risk, a, a similarly risky one. How about Zakama Primal Calamity Judge Foil? There are plenty of Zakamas around, including a secret layer version. But the Judge Foils are from the Judge program, which is now defunct. So this version is never getting printed again. And it's got the sickest Zakama art. The, the heads, it looks like dragon heads about to devour an entire city. And the Judge Foils started up near let's see they were at about 28 got as high as 61 they've since come down to about 42 but now dinosaur hype is is renewed we've only got 18 listings left and these sell you know one per day kind of thing which is pretty good for a premium card and given that people are going to be for sure building zakama decks right uh and there's only a small handful of dinosaur commanders to choose from unlike something like fairies or vampires where you have a bunch of options the i i could well see zakamas going you know 40 to 45 up to something like 65 50 percent gains minus fees and shipping and and getting there there is one holder on tcg player uh at 48 dollars 12 copies and 49 dollars at 13 copies those have to clear out for this to work out but it doesn't seem like that's impossible given the level of dinosaur hype. I see what you're saying, and you're you're right on all those counts. There's not going to be any more Judge Foils. Uh, I don't think that this art... I think it's better. Yeah, it's a little bit more action-y and coolness, you know, with the tail whipping around and everything. I, I just... I keep looking at these uh, three-headed Commander Masters versions that are kind of cartoony, and I... Th- think those are almost a a target i'd rather be at because you've only got uh so many people who have those foils available to them there's there's still you know 60 some odd vendors who've got the foils but i i can't argue with where you're at on the judge pricing because there's definitely not going to be any more of those we're not going to have somebody find a big stack of judge foils and let go where with Commander Masters, you know, there's always the risk that somebody's like, oh no, I, here's a, a pallet for the gaming company to now just blast a price into next Thursday. Now, one of the counters to this is that one of the underlying demand chains for Judge Foils thus far has been people collecting the Judge Foils. You know, the original Judge Foils and then the external Judge Program Foils, of which, of which this is one. But they've canceled the relationship with that and it's not clear whether judges that judge magic will have access to their own foils anymore and if one of the ways that they're trying to make sure they have a little more supply for all of their secret layers and all of their premium sets and so forth is to stop giving judges unique foils then people might also stop collecting judge foils mm-hmm. and if you if they if they continue to print them, and two years from now, somebody who starts collecting them, they might go back looking for something like a Sakama. But if there's no impetus in the future to collect George Foils, then that may not happen. So it's unclear how that will play out, but I would certainly have that front of my mind looking at any George Foil right now. I'd also you know, point out that Zakamas. Uh, like one quarter as popular as Gishath just because of what they do. Zakama is pretty amazing. You know, you get to cast it legit, untap everything, and then just no creature, artifact, or enchantment stays in play unless you decide it does. But at the same time, like, I, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to change that. I'm with you on this Judge Foil pick. I, I don't want to be messing around with the, commander masters at this point uh, as a big spec on the commander the quantities are just so small for the judge foil that even though there are the two walls you mentioned that feels like it's inevitable to to go from currently 43 to you said 65 for this to go up 20 bucks in the next uh 
few months seems like a pretty safe bet. For looking at top commanders on EDHREC over the past week, uh, Gishath has rocketed up into the top five after Atraxa, Ur-Dragon, Miriam, Sentinel Worm, and Yuriko. And even if people are going to build Gishath more than they're going to build Zakama, Zakama's inclusion rate in Gishath is 60%, which is extremely high. Extremely so, high. So if somebody's playing Gishath, they're playing Zakama. Absolutely. They're, they're they, synonymous. They are peanut butter and jelly. It's very true. There you go. What's your final selection? My other pick this week is a dinosaur-related spec, but instead of talking about uh, Zakama or the uh, Gishath, I'm looking at uh, Blue the Loyal Raptor plus Owen Grady the Raptor Trainer decks, also from the uh, Special Jurassic Park set, because the you know Mechanically Unique always gets me interested. And so Blue's ability is that for each kind of counter on this card... Each other dinosaur you control enters the battlefield with a counter of that kind on it. So you want to put sweet counters on blue, which is what Owen Grady does. He says, tap, put your choice of menace, trample, reach, or haste on target dinosaur. Well, I don't want to mess around with those. I want hexproof counters to start with if I'm going to start doing some crazy stuff. And the easiest way to do that is a card that is perfect for this in Slippery Bog Bonder for, uh, is it three and a red? I believe it. No, it's three and a green. Three and a green. Yeah, Slippery Bog Wonder is three and a green for Flash, Hexproof, 3-3 three, three, Druid. When it comes into play, put a Hexproof counter on target creature, then move any number of counters from among creatures you control onto that creature. So you can immediately load up blue with whatever kind of counters you want. And uh, this has had two printings. One of them's at $3 from Commander 2020, and I'm picking the... Streets of New Capenna version that is currently ar- available around a buck. And if people want to build this deck, this is going to be the card they do. Also having another card that's $2 more expensive makes it easy to say, like, this will go a dollar to $4. If they leave this alone, the card does great things in EDH. I've done filthy things with it in a couple different decks. It's generally good just in any green deck, because... If your deck cares about keeping your commander around, this helps that that happen. If it cares about keeping a creature combo piece in play, this can help with that as well. It's in 24,000 reported decks on EDHREC since release, which is very respectable. And it really just boils down to whether they submarine this by putting it into a commander deck. And given that it's a sub $5 card, it is very much at risk for that. Sure. It could show up in any number of uh, further commander decks. It's already been in two. One in 2020 and one in 20... What was the year was Streets of Nuka Pena? That was 21? No, 2022. 22. So every couple of years it does show up. That is true. All right, moving on over to catching up on the Lost Caverns of Ixalan reveals. We haven't we missed it last week, which means we haven't actually talked about these since uh, October 22nd or 23rd. So I'm going all the way back to the October 24th reveals to talk about some key cards and then move forward from there. I like this Bone Horde Dracosaur. First of all, it's a dinosaur and a dragon, so there's no losing with that. It's three double red for a 5-5, flying first strike. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. If you exile the land card this way, you create a 3-1 red dinosaur creature token. If you exile the non-land card this way, create a treasure token. So let me get this straight. Instead of Sarah Angel or Senior Vampire, I now get 5-5 Flying First Strike, two cards per turn on option, plus if any of them's a land, I get a dinosaur or friend, and if it's a non-land, I get a treasure? Yes. Seems good to me. Uh, Good is not even in the discussion. This is fantastic, overpowered, everything you ever wanted from a card. Like, this is, I can't can't put this into uh, Ur-Dragon fast enough. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's overpowered, but it's pushed. This is a pushed card that is meant to see play, for sure. Moving on here, we have... Uh, I was going to say that, uh, did you did we have a chance to talk about uh, some of the, the other reprints with the uh, flip cards, like uh, Growing Rights is just back? Yeah, I think we mentioned that one. Okay. Uh, we, we've also got a bunch of the... Uh, box topper cards were revealed and we also know from vendors that have been cracking them that the box toppers are not equally rare 
Right. They are distributed by rarity. So the mythic ones are actually hard to find. So there's not going to be that many of the mythic box toppers given the arrangement of that subset. But Chromatic Ori is getting cool new art as a box topper. They showed off uh, a bunch of additional flip cards. There's this one, Matzalantli, the Great Door, three casting cost, legendary artifact, tap, draw a card, then discard a card. Uh, so it's a looter that's not a creature that's hard for them to deal with. And for four and tap, you transform it if you have Delirium, if you've got four or more permanent types among cards in your graveyard. Well, that's not exactly Delirium. Delirium was four or more types. Right. This has to be permanent types, so it's actually harder to do than Delirium. But the flip side of this is pretty epic. It's called the Core, and you tap add X mana of any one color where X is the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. <laughs> Yeah. In Maldratha, this it's... is fine early. Eventually, I have the mana to, and the stuff in the yard to flip it, and then it starts tapping for 5, 10, 15, 20 mana. I think that exactly what you said. As If you're in a deck that has a lot of permanence, this is going to be a winner. I don't think it'll be... It's not going to be easy to flip, but I think as the game goes long, it'll be less difficult. You know, you'll get an artifact and a creature in there pretty easily. A little bit of mill and you've got your land in there, then you just got to make sure you got enough enchantments or planeswalkers, and you're off to the races. Well, I mean, it's it's easy to do in the cards that in the decks that self-mill. Yeah. Because that's the whole point. Also, um, you're looting, so you get to choose what you're putting in there and loading up exactly. on. Exactly. That's exactly it, right? Yeah. The other one I like is Tyrion's Journal. This is a legendary artifact for one and a black. Tap, sack another artifact or creature, draw a card. That's just straight up great in tokens builds. Um, you know, you got a bitter blossom on the table. You can turn every fairy attack once, then then sack it for a card. Then two tap, discard your hand, flip this thing, and then it taps for black, and you can tap to cast creature spells from your graveyard that come back with a finality counter, which means the next time they die, they're gone for good, and they are vampires in addition to its other types. This is pretty sweet like i would definitely try this in edgar markov where i can sack some of the small vampires i get for free for cards and then if i run out of gas i can flip this thing and start bringing the good vampires that the table killed back from the yard and causing more trouble i'm ambivalent on this i don't like finality counters i find that in my commander games i've got enough ways to to recur things so i'm gonna be a little more hesitant about this but i mean just tap cast a creature spell is pretty outstanding. I'm not going to lie. That That's hard to find more value from. I, I mean, I'm not sure I understand the complaint with finality counters. <laughs> it's just that after when they kill it again, it's gone forever. You don't get to replay it. It's it's not. Yeah, but the, the, the thing is that whatever removal they were going to use was going to kill it anyway. And half the good removal that actually gets played in Commander, especially point removal, is Source of Plowshares and Path to Exile and other things that are going to that is true. There is a lot more exiling going on these They're going to chaos warp it. They're going to beast within it, whatever. So it, the finality counter doesn't bother me at all. And it gets extra fun when you play a slippery bog bonder and move the finality counter off of that creature and onto something else. That's exactly true. Uh, are you going to slap Terror Tide into your Muldratha deck? Two black black, all creatures get minus X, where X is the number of permanents in your graveyard? I don't think I need that there because it's likely to kill Muldratha and everything else. <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> is, is going to be a pretty powerhouse board wipe, it's true. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's it's more that I don't have the control I have with a lot of the conditional sweepers that have been introduced in the last three years. So, like, in a counters matters deck, you have the kill all the creatures that don't have counters. In the token deck, you have the kill all the creatures that aren't tokens, and so on and so forth. So, the you know, give everything minus eight, minus eight is not usually what you're going for. What I want is something that's going to sweep all of your stuff and leave my stuff behind. And Toxic Deluge is going to work a lot better for that or uh, Meat Hook Massacre because I can control, I don't usually don't care about my small creatures dying because I'm recasting them with Maldrotha, but I don't want to give minus six, minus six or above because then Maldrotha has gone and I got to recast it and he's expensive. So a lot of the decks that care about that kind of thing, I think, I think will probably eschew that, that particular card. Don't think Terror Tide is going to be a real big deal. Um, there are reprints of Wedding Ring with by far the sickest art. That is some sick-ass art, it's true. 
the it's like a skeleton hand with the wedding ring on it instead of the original like stately vampire hand um that's by far the best wedding ring definitely would want to play that where i play it it's a good political card so it it's probably should be in more decks than it is the new colossus hammer art that's automatically going to be the preferred art for hammer decks in modern uh which are on the decline but wouldn't be surprised to see them regroup and and conquer if they knock the black red scam decks down a peg sometime this year whisper silk cloak with new art they also showed us a cool vehicle the belligerent two blue red for a five five when it attacks, you create a treasure token. Until the end of your turn, you can look at the top card of your library anytime, and you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library, and the crew cost is three. So it's kind of like a big smuggler's copter. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. Do you think Get Lost is going to be worthwhile? I'm ambivalent on the, the map tokens, but Get Lost as a one and a white instant, destroy target creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. That's very broad. It's, it's very broad. It'll see play. Yeah. Yeah, I think the card's good. Uh, Helping Hand, pretty great for commanders that cost three or less if you're in white. Uh, Sorcery, return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Typically that has been to the battlefield and it cost one more. Getting to do it for just one white is really great. That's on Earth. That is straight up on Earth without the cycling. Yeah. So that's solid. A lot of fun, you know, vampire cards, a lot of like uh, vampire demon stuff they're going for. Queen's Bay Paladin, one of the better-looking EDH vampires. Five for a 5-4 Vampire Knight. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, return up to one target vampire card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. You lose life equal to its mana value. It's kind of, like, I would... There's a pretty solid amount of life gain in Edgar Markov. And at some point, Edgar is going to just cost too much because he's six. So they're going to kill it twice. He's going to cost 10. And the next... So on the ten, the time where they kill it, where it just cost ten, instead of sending him back to the command zone and paying twelve, you let him go to the yard. Then you cast the paladin and bring him back and just suck up the life loss. Yeah, just soak it up. They showed us Osier Pakpatik, deepest epoch, two double blue four three legendary creature god. Really sick art on that. Flying. Whenever you cast an instant spell from your hand, it gains rebound means in case people forgot exile it as it resolves and at the beginning of your next upkeep you may cast it from exile without paying its mana cost so you get double duty from all your instants when it dies you return it to the battlefield tapped and transformed with three time counters on it then you can tap it for blue and remove a time counter or pay two in a blue tap and transform it and you can only activate that as a sorcery and only if it has no time counter. So you're going to, it goes away for three or four turns. These are all pretty cool because I think that tucking it three cards down wasn't enough or didn't hamper the, that set of gods enough. Right. And making them straight up indestructible <laughs> was pretty nasty for anybody who faced Perforos and Heliod, etc. and had to yeah. figure out a way to get rid of them. It's, which is usually exiling them. That's too much. This this is a, a good compromise for this, I think, that because we we just had too much of this crazy shenanigan with uh indestructible and then can't attack or block and then all of a sudden you're dead to it when they do the right things. All of the uh deepests um there's a full cycle, right? Yeah. So all of the deepest do really great. There's things. five gods. Yeah, there's five, and then they, you know, giving instance rebounds. The the white one makes triple tokens. The uh, green one uh, lets you put a creature and or a land into play when it hits somebody. Like these are these are some powerhouse cards that when something happens they come back, and it's lands, and then you'll have a chance to flip it back over. So. Like you said, exiling is going to be much more popular these days. They also reprinted Resplendent Angel in here, which reminds me I'm supposed to get this into my Aloro deck. I don't know how I don't have it there. What? Because 3-3 three, three Flyer at the beginning of each end step, if you gain five or more life this turn, you get a Sarah Angel, which is obviously supposed to be in the deck. So note to self. Um, they showed us... I'm not worrying too much about these gaps. I'll just cut them out. 
Right. Uh, what day are we on again? I'm uh, up to October 29th on Mythic right. Spoiler. Gotcha. Uh, there's a really cool Coat of Arms reprint. Definitely the best art ever on that. Oh, by far the best art on Coat of Arms. If people are even playing it that much, it's it's very much a relic of before times, but it is a card that it's very easy to lose to. They showed us Hunting Velociraptor. 3-2 first strike for two and a red. Dinosaur spells you cast have Prowl 3, which is you can cast a spell for its power cost if you dealt combat damage to a player. Uh, that's really gross. I didn't know Prowl. I thought Prowl was only rogue. So Prowl is just a, a, a creature-based uh, ability now based on its, its type. That is... I can't wait for the Prowl Dragon. Give me a Prowl Dragon right now, Wizards. Don't, don't, don't be shy about this. Give me that Prowl Dragon and don't hold back. So this lets you get Zakama and Gishath into play for three mana. Man, why do you have to go and say sick things like that? This is a family show, sir. A family show, and you want to cast Zakama for three mana. How dare there's you? Also, there's also a mountain here with a Tyrannosaurus Rex on it and a, a volcano exploding behind it that I suspect is going to be worth money down the road. Base, like there's been basics that have done well, but they are few and far between. They'll, it'll be surprisingly expensive, but I don't think it'll be too crazy. Well, I mean, instead of being five cents, it'll be like two or three dollars. That okay, I'm with you on that. Uh, it's it's got a Tyrannosaurus Rex on it, and there everybody loves T Rex. Who doesn't it's love just, a T Rex? You have nobody's played. childhood doesn't have T Rexes. <laughs> uh, uh, I really like this other card for uh, Moldratha, the Ancient One. I don't know what really like. I'm going to test this card. You're going to test the, this? Sure, because it's 2 mana 8-8. Eight, eight. Yeah, blue-black <laughs> for a 8-8. Eight, eight. But this can't attack or block if you have less than 8 or more permanent cards in your graveyard. But for 4, I draw a card, then discard a card when I do target player mills equal to that card's mana value. So the thing is, Uh-oh. you play this for, t- for 2, then you activate it for 4 the following turn, probably. You put something big in the yard... And because you put something big in the yard, you mill a bunch of stuff, and now you have eight permanents in the yard, and now this is an 8-8. That's probably good enough in self-mill decks. Off the top of your head, biggest mana cost in Muldroth. Are you playing Omniscience? Two, I have an Omniscience. I don't think I do. Okay. Because I try not to fully tune things to the point of ridiculousness, and I try not to play combos very much. And... Well, Omniscience is only of, from your I'm, hand, I'm, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of the, the nastiest. Most of the stuff is just big, nasty creatures like Shieldreds and whatever. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I like I like that blue-black one. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. You have Akal Pakal, First Among Equals. Two and a blue. At the beginning of each player's end step, and if an artifact entered the battlefield under your control this turn, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Each player's end step. Each so. player's end step. So if you have a smothering tide out and they feed it, a cowl is going to draw you a shit ton of cards and fill your yard. There's going to be a lot of ways to abuse that. I'm I like a cowl. Especially five toughness. Five toughness isn't that common at three mana or less. And that blocks a bunch of stuff effectively. Uh, there's also Chamil the Inner Sun. More Cascade nonsense. Six mana for a legendary artifact. Spells you control can't be countered. Cool. At the beginning of your end step, discover five. <laughs> Which is basically just go flip cards off the top until you find a non-land with mana value five or less and cast it for free. It's pretty amazing. I, uh, I'm i looking forward to some of these cards getting very abused. That's one of those things you can use with a Stryonic Resonator to double up on the triggers. That is, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with the Resonator, but that is even better. So also debating this other card for Muldrotha because it's so good, but it's not a permanent itself. Dirge of the Forgotten, blue-black for a sorcery. To send eight, choose one. If your graveyard has eight or more permanent cards, Choose one or more instead. So you can either return target non-land permanent to your hand, or target opponent discards a card, or look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest in your graveyard. In graveyard-focused decks, most of the time you're going to be doing the third thing. Top three, one to your hand, the other in your graveyard. That's kind of like a blue-black expressive iteration. 
it's and that's kind of, and that's kind of your worst case scenario. Well, it's really busted if the other uh, person happens to have nothing in their hand, and so you can bounce the problem permanent. Then they discard the card, and then you get to get a card back. So, uh, plus this is uh, really sweet in the um, what's the name of this frame? The show uh, I don't remember what the showcase frame is called, but this is a cool piece of uh, supplicant art. One of the better looking cards in the entire set in terms of the look and feel on the special version. Yeah. For sure. Uh, you have Echoing Deeps. You may have Echoing Deeps enter the battlefield tapped as a copy of any land card in a graveyard, except it's a cave in addition to its other types. Oh, gee. So we get to another way to abuse Dark Depths? Well, if you insist. Well, and if, even if the, you're just putting a strip mine in a wasteland in your deck and you're getting rid of somebody's cradle or whatever. It is any graveyard. That's true. It's anybody's graveyard, not just yours. This is insta combo. Well, I mean, yeah, this is insta combo. If you, uh, crop rotation, your dark depths into echoing deeps, it's just wham, bam. I'm all done now. Thank you. Here's a 2020. In a monocolored deck, this just seems like a solid utility land. Like if I'm in mono black, I'll find a slot for this. Cause it comes into play untapped making colorless. If you don't copy Oh, that's also true. Yeah, this is this is a solid card. That does do a lot of good things. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> Tarion's Soul Cleaver. This is insane and attracts the counters. One mana for a legendary artifact equipment gives the creature vigilance. Whenever another artifact or creature is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on equipped creature. Gee, are there tokens that we can sacrifice easily that are artifacts? Hardened Scales, Parallel Life, Doubling Season, all the other nonsense. You're already putting creatures, counters on creatures. They're already getting doubled or tripled. This thing's just creating more instances of said same. And you can move it around and do cannery stuff. And then you can cast a Slippery Bog Bonder and move all the counters onto one thing. That is busted as heck. I, I don't <laughs> know what they were thinking, but here we go. Yeah, so I mean, you start you start those decks now with this, the Ozolith, the other Ozolith, doubling season, etc., and then you go from there. <laughs> Fill in the blanks with all the relevant creatures. Don't forget uh, all of your uh, what's the the affinity the Arcbound Ravager. Don't forget the yeah. Ravager. Yeah. Uh, how about Grim Gigantosaurus, one of the Jurassic Park cards? Five black green for a ten ten. It has Monstrosity ten for twelve. But the ability costs one less to activate for each creature with power four or greater your opponent's control. So your opponents get out of control with the four four angels, and you get your monstrosity this thing for seven or eight instead of twelve. And then it becomes a twenty twenty, and when it becomes monstrous, you destroy all artifacts and creatures other than itself. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll blow up a whole lot of things. I just wish it was you were paying this much mana. Why not have it be one-sided? It should have been a more one-sided effect. They also did Natural Order, but just for dinosaurs. So now they get to play two copies of that card. As additional cost to cast this spell, which is called Savage Order for two double green, sack a creature with power four or greater, search your library for a dinosaur creature, put it in the battlefield, it gains indestructible until your next turn. So you don't get the untapped trigger with the uh, Zakama, but you do get uh, basically everything else that you would want from a card. And it's indestructible yeah. until your next turn, so you can't really get blown out too hard by this. Yeah, so that's pretty nasty. I'm still surprised that they waited this long to reprint Pitiless Plunderer, but, you know, they have to be real careful with the $20 uncommons. Well, and they're also trying to make sure those decks sell at the level they want them to. Mm. So I'm not particularly surprised with the the level of reprint juice that they slid in there they also showed off uh in terms of the special guest cards rampaging ferocidon pitiless plunderer which of course is now the best art of that miri weatherlight duelist dargo the shipwrecker mephidros vampire none of which are particularly important a new lord Windgrace that looks really nice breaches brazen plunderer polyraptor I think that version will be popular galta primal hunger that version will be popular carnage tyrant best art for that and all of those, Polyraptor, Galta, and Carnage Tyrant, all are definitely going in your dinosaur deck. So I would imagine those will sell relatively well. Yeah, I'm going to comb through the 
uh, collecting article now that the entire set has been previewed. And uh, the math is going up this Friday. So if you want to know exactly how hard it is to pull these, I will have that information for you. There's also Trumpeting Carnosaur as another push dinosaur. Four double red for a 7-6 trample. When it enters the battlefield, discover five. And then two red, discard it from your hand, deals three damage to target creature or a planeswalker in a pinch. I mean, most of the time, even when there's something you want to kill, you're just going to hold out to get the 7-6 trample plus the discover five. I but, would yeah. cast it if I really, really needed to, but I'm going to hold out for my six mana, seven, six trample plus whatever I cascade five into. It's it's absolutely true. One of the other gods, Ogier Kaslem, Deepest Growth, three double green for a six, five trample. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you reveal cards from the top of your library and you can put a creature card and or a land card from among them onto the battlefield equal. And you're looking at cards equal to the damage that you dealt. So it's a 6-5 trample, you swing it in at the person that's undefended, let's say they take 6, you're looking at 6 cards, you put a creature and a land straight into play, untapped. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Also gorgeous art. I saw I saw the full painting of this being sold on Facebook, and it was going for mucho doleros. Yeah, and then if it dies, it comes back as a land, and 2 green tap, transform it, and only if you have the city's uh, 10 or more permanents, and only as a sorcery. That's ridiculous. Yeah, because, I mean, again, in Muldrotha, that's not going to be a problem. And a bunch of other decks that fill the yard, a lot of green-black decks that are in a similar boat. And I'd also look at this in something like Xenogod, yeah. where you're doubling the power on this and giving it haste. Yep, that is exactly what it does. So then it's going to be 12 haste trample damage, and then it's going to look at 12 cards and do this nonsense? I love all of that. Um, there's an uncommon that we... Uh, I always like to look at the, the Kutzu, I think is how I'm saying, the Malamet Exemplar for one green white. 3-3, three, three, your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. Just boom. Not even can't be countered. Just you can't do anything. I love that. I love everything about that. And then whenever a creature you control with power greater than its base power deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So if it's got a counter, an equipment, an aura, a pump spell, whatever it is, you get to draw a card. They're also printing a white version of the Nasty Dryad. Illustrious Wanderglyph, four and a white for a 2-2 with Ascend. If you control 10 or more permanents, you get the City's Blessing for the rest of the game. Other artifact creatures you control get plus two, plus two, as long as you have the City's Blessing. And at the beginning of each upkeep, create a 1-1 colorless gnome artifact creature token. That's each upkeep. So now in white-green token decks, you can have both this and the Dryad that does the same thing in green. Just all your artifact creatures getting the bonus. That's pretty ridiculous. There's a lot of decks that will take advantage of that. And in Ginny Fey, you're getting a 3-1 Vigilance or a 2-2 Haste every on every upkeep. That's also very true. So that's real nasty. That's in the Commander decks, right? Yeah, that's a Commander deck card. You're not going to pull that in your uh, in your draft also showed Xavier Sal, Infested Captain, out of those decks. That's Sultai Colors for a 3-3. Tap, remove a counter from another permanent you control. Populate. Tap, sack another creature. Proliferate. Oh, I like it. That, <laughs> that, that does all the right things in a, a, several different versions of Atraxa. I really nice dig one. this uh, this Gnome Champion, uh, Tetzin, who's uh, uh, Jeskai Colors, blue, red, white for a 2-2. When he, he comes into play or uh, or any other double-faced artifact enters the battlefield, mill three, put an artifact from among them into your hand, and then craft with six artifacts. So you have to exile this and exile six artifacts from your graveyard or stuff you control. And then you have a 6-6 six, six Vigilance Trample. When it enters or attacks, transform one other double-faced artifact you control, and you get two 1-1 one, one gnomes. There's not a lot that does that yet. It's... It's so many hoops to get a 6-6 six, six that makes tokens. It's, But you get the free transforming, and we love tr- yeah, transforming but, stuff. But the number of transform cards like that just isn't that deep yet. It is very, very light. It's sadly true. Uh, what was over here? <laughs> this paleontologist pickaxe is sneaky good in the dinosaur decks. And whenever equipped creature attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. Cool. Doesn't really do much. But you can craft with one or more creatures. 
and then it flips. It's an artifact equipment that says when it enters the battlefield, you attach it to a creature, and it becomes the creature that you exiled when you crafted. Equip creature is a copy of the last chosen card, and then you can just keep equipping it. So you just discard your nastiest creature out of your hand, Blightsteel, Colossus, or whatever, and craft with this for five, and then from then on, you've just got Blightsteels for days. Yep, that is the plan. Special set cards, Mimic Fat, Worn Power Stone, Strionic Resonator, and Overflowing Chalice. All excellent art. This this subset has some of the nicest art that they've ever given us. It's in, in really, tre- really outstanding. You're right. This is called Treasure Trove, uh, this subset. This is the box toppers. And Thought Vessels in there, too. That one also looks amazing. Uh, I played against Don Andreas the Renegade this weekend. One of our pro traders had a... Vile Smasher Crom deck that he converted into this, and it's very, very good. This is a 4-3 Vampire Pirate for one Grixis. Each creature you control but don't own gets plus 2, plus 2, has Menace and Death Touch, and is a pirate in addition to its other types. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell you don't own, create two tapped treasure tokens. So this is like all the red cards that let you look at other people at the top of other people's libraries. And then cast the cards are free, like things like a tally and a bunch of the enchantments and, and sorceries that do that. Sure. And then you're playing clone copy cards to take other people's stuff or threaten effects for sacrifice advantage and then getting all the free treasures. It's a, a pretty fun deck and very unique. Yeah, this is a, a Tasha deck taken to a, another level by adding another color. I dig it. Uh, Order of Sacred Dust. Sorry, Order of Sacred Dusk looks great in the Vampire deck. Six white black for a 5-5 five, five, Convoke Flying Lifelink Haste Exalted <laughs> Vampire Knight that also says other vampires you control have exalted. So basically, let's say you have five vampires on the board, which is very easy in Markov, and you're going to cast this thing for three. You're going to get a Flying Lifelink Haste, hit for five, gain five, hit somebody for five. But when it attacks... All of the creatures that convoked it in are giving it a plus one, plus one bonus. So if you did it with five creatures, it hits for ten. Yeah, the vampire deck is ridiculous with the cards they printed in here. Like, it's hard to top Edgar Markov for pure ridiculousness. But if you're going to give him stuff like March of the Canonized, just get out. Just, like, for X, white, white. Uh, it's an enchantment. It comes into play. Create X white vampire creature tokens with lifelink that are 1-1. One, one. More Ginny Fey bait for you. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if your devotion to white and black is 7 or greater, you get a 4-3 white and black vampire demon creature token with flying. It's just such foolishness. Definitely going to find room for Charismatic Conqueror in both Markov and Ginny Fey. 2-2 Vigilance for a 1 and a white, Vampire Soldier. Whenever an artifact or creature enters the battlefield untapped and under an opponent's control, they may tap that permanent. If they don't, you create a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink. Do you want to have a blind obedience problem, or do you want to give me free vampires? You're already getting free vampires, so I just double hate you anyway. So this is, there's not really a good choice here. <laughs> Especially with uh, Carmen being the commander... You know, for a three white, black, two, two flying, whenever a player sacks something, you put a one, one on there and gain a life. Then when she attacks, you just return stuff to play from, uh, based on her power. I get out. (laughs) Just stop with all that foolishness. March of the canonized. It goes a lot wider than just vampire decks. It's just a good white card period in EDH. Yeah. X double white for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you get X white vampire creature tokens with lifelink that are one ones. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, your devotion to white and black is seven or greater. You create a four-three white and black vampire demon creature token with flying. Yep, like I, I said, will play the, I'll, I'll put this in Markov. I'll put it in Aloro. Um, probably put it in Zur. Um, because in Zur, I could search this up and not worry about the X and get two pips towards the devotion just to start getting the four threes. If you think finality is good, then the dinosaur deck has an enchantment uh, from the rubble for white-white. As it comes into play, choose a creature type. 
At the beginning of your instep, return a creature card of the chosen type from your graveyard to play with a finality counter on it. Yeah, that's pretty good. The dinosaur deck has Wrathful Raptors. 5-5 Trample for 5. Whenever a dinosaur you control is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to any any target that isn't a dinosaur. So if somebody goads all your dinosaurs while you have raptors out and forces you to somebody else to attack into you or you to attack into them, then you then get to redirect damage all over the place as a result, and that can be a negotiable political point in the game. I'm going to think about Progenitor's Icon 2, 3 mana artifact, uh, comes to play, choose a creature type, tap for a mana of any color, or... Tap the next spell of the chosen type you cast this turn can be cast as though it had flash. So this is a way to give the typal decks uh, another access to the Winding Canyons effect. Only yep. instead of tapping three lands, you're now just tapping the one artifact. And that's extremely tempting. Yeah, pretty good. I like um, Wave Goodbye and Attracts a Counter's Matters. And similar decks, return each creature without a plus one, plus one counter on it to its owner's hand. That's another one of these conditional removal spells, except this time it's a conditional Cyclonic Rift. Uh, That goes straight into there. Ripples of Potential goes straight into Atraxa, one in a blue for an instant. Proliferate, then choose any number of permanents you control that had a counter put on them. This way, those permanents phase out. So they swing in to attack your Planeswalkers, you give them all an extra loyalty counter, and then they go bye-bye. They go. And they've wasted an attack phase, and your planeswalkers are totally fine. Uh, there's going to be a certain amount of memeing for uh, Xolotak. I'm probably messing that up real badly. I'm sorry for anybody who knows how to say it right. The Smiling Flood, the uh, Salamander Serpent, who's an Axolotl. Uh, I'm going to have to get one of these in foil for my daughter, who's just crazy about everything Axolotl. And now that there's an Axolotl creature... I'm going to have to find any other Axolotl cards in this stupid game. But the card, it doesn't seem... Well, it's okay. I mean, it enters the battlefield or attacks, put a flood counter on a land, and then that land is now an island. And at the beginning of your end step, untap each permanent you control with a counter on it. For your plus one decks, that seems pretty good. Pretty solid, yep. They also showed Permission Denied. Out of the Jurassic Park cards, white and a blue for an instant counter-target non-creature spell. Your opponents can't cast non-creature spells this turn. So is negate worth switching from colorless to white to stop them from doing anything else this turn? I mean, they can't... While this is on the stack, they can still put other spells on the stack, correct? Yeah, but then... If this resolves, then they can't do anything about it. Yeah, you want to be at the end of the stack with this one. Right, this is the last one. No, uh, even if there's other stuff already on the stack, that doesn't matter either. Because if they've already put on the stack, they can't... Uh, th- this is a restriction about casting, not resolving. So, it's cool, and honestly, uh, there's going to be... A, if you're old enough to remember the scene that's on the card where he goes, Nuh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word! Uh, there will be some fights on tables about this. Uh, somebody doing that. All right, so I mean, overall, the, the set looks fun. So it, it's a pretty straightforward-looking standard set with a much better subset of bonus cards than you would normally get. Uh, looks not super far off Neon Dynasty in that way, and I would imagine it'll be a fairly popular set in the grand scheme of things, given the themes: vampires, dinosaurs, Jurassic Park, hard Merfolk. to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. All right, where can fi- folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online on Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, dirty stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 at checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, So there's no more previews coming, right, James? We're good for a week or two? Uh, (laughs) 
Well, we'll see what they come up with, but for now, we seem all right. Thank you to Cliff. Thank you all for listening, and we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Also, listen out for a bonus episode this week as part of our 400th celebrations. We have a interview, lengthy interview with Michael Caffrey of Tales of Adventure, a uh, well-established magic vendor in the United States, talking about the vending viability of magic heading into the next 30 years. 